0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Cisco Champions Radio. Today, we will be discussing open roaming. We have Cisco experts Matt and Bart, and then we also have uh, Jody and Mark here, Cisco champions. So tell us, who are you? What do you do?
1: So my name is Bart, and um, I'm the engineering lead on open roaming. So Mm -hmm. uh, me and my team actually have uh, built the solution.
0: Fantastic. Matt, who are you? What do you do?
2: Uh, I'm Matt McPherson and I am the CTO of wireless at Cisco and so I, I have all the I think I have all the funnest projects at Cisco looking at next generation technologies and open roaming of course is one of them fantastic
0: Jody.
3: Hi, uh, I'm Jody Lemoyne. I work uh, as an independent IT consultant. Most of my customers are other IT firms that come to me for networking advice and uh, things that are beyond the usual server things that they deal with. And uh, gives me a lot of variety. It's a lot of fun.
0: Fantastic. Oh, and I see you're wearing a original Cisco Champion shirt from like seven years ago. That's because I'm old. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Mark, new champion. Yeah,
4: um, I'm an architect. I work for Devo Team in the Netherlands, and I um, help my customers get most of uh, the most of stuff out of their IT. I mean, it's very hard to get it to work properly, mm. and that's my main task.
0: Fantastic. Um, so I think we all forgot to share our Twitter handles. I'm Lauren on the Twitters.
4: I
3: don't have one. Okay.
0: You're dead to me now. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm uh, at ghostinthenet on Twitter. I am fairly snarky and occasionally provide tidbits of information there.
0: Fantastic.
2: And I'm MacPherson7, the number seven, and it's the Scottish spelling of MacPherson, so M-A-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N.
0: Fantastic. And I know you don't have one. All right. 50,000-foot F- uh, overview. What is roaming?
2: So what is open roaming? So people have been, I think, hearing about this for a little bit of time now. We've been talking about open roaming almost going on a year. It was a little bit of a pre-announcement, but a very exciting technology. What we're doing with open roaming is automating onboarding in a secure way. So the way I like to think about it is think about when you go onto LTE, when you're using your cell phone, you can go anywhere in the world, you get off the plane, you turn on your phone and you just connect to the network. And that's how networks should really work. So the same thing with open roaming. That's what we're looking to solve. In just a couple of years, we'll have over 500,000 hotspots. I said they're wrong. 500 million hotspots around the planet. And so if you want to connect those all together so that you can connect automatically and securely, just like your GSM or your LTE or your 5G experience, then you need open roaming. Fantastic.
0: Fantastic.
4: And does that include all the hotspots at home that people have?
2: So you know what it is? It's guest hotspots. So the answer is it depends. So you have some cases, like if you go over to Europe, you have operators like Orange, where they're doing is they're putting hotspots out into the homes. In that case, if they implement open roaming, then the answer is yes. If you're running your own hotspot, probably not. But it's something that the Open Roaming Federation would accommodate. Initially, we're not targeting the home market, but it's certainly doable.
0: Fantastic. So it could eventually be added to the consumer activities.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool.
3: Now, obviously, Cisco's a big player in the open roaming game, but how many organizations are on board with this? Is this purely a Cisco player or is this multi-vendor?
2: You know, it's, it's so we want to make sure that everybody understands that open roaming is something that we're opening up to the industry. And this question actually comes up a lot. So if you're familiar with the WBA or the Wireless Broadband Alliance, we're using that channel to standardize open roaming. So you can think of the WBA as roaming for Wi-Fi, an organization that's really focused on that, similar to how GSMA would be roaming for cellular. For example, and so that's where you'll see the the standards start to come together. Now, Bart would tell us that um, open roaming is in trial right now, but as soon as it's released, any vendor would be able to implement open roaming.
0: Cool. So, how like how long does it take someone to implement it?
2: Well, you know, so, so, so I'm going to let Bart talk a little bit Sorry, about this. I should this actually
0: let the, the champions ask questions, but I'm like, this is fascinating. Well, the, re- <laughs> the
2: reason I want Bart to answer this is because he's done such a phenomenal job over in engineering, making this incredibly simple. So tell us how simple it is, Bart.
1: Well, um, we've tried to make it really, really simple for uh, networks to implement open roaming. So we've built it into um, our DNA spaces stack. And the DNA Space is a cloud platform, so if you're an existing you know, DNA Space's customer, you can activate Open Roaming right from your dashboard. Uh, uh, there, it's very simple. Cool.
4: Well, from what I hear, it is really going to transform the way the world connects. Um, but you must have thought about to uh, th- there must be a reason why you do this. What is the major pain point that we're solving right now?
2: Uh, One of the pain points, I mean, we do a lot of surveys, of of course, of our uh, customer base. We did a survey of enterprise customers and service provider customers. What they told us is that their number one pain point with Wi-Fi is just getting onto it. Onboarding is one of their number one pain points. Because how do you do it? How do you do it securely? A lot of times you'll go to different venues and they don't do it securely. They'll just do an open network. Why? Because it's easy to do. But that's not secure in any way. And in fact, some of the early technologies, um, even when you're doing a username password, is not as secure as the technology that we're applying in open roaming. So if you want to automatically connect and you want to do this in a secure way, then this is something that's very interesting to you. So a lot of demand that we're seeing coming in from the enterprise and the public space. But if you
4: want to do that, then you need federated identity management. Otherwise, you'll have to have different credentials all the time and then getting onto the network is
2: not changing. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it's very important that that everyone understand that this is federated. So what what open roaming does is it takes technologies that have already been deployed in your phone. It's based around hotspot 2.0 or sometimes referred to as Passpoint, And so it leverages those technologies and then federates those identities together into a cloud federation. The way I like to explain this is, is another federation that everybody's familiar with is like a visa. right? Why does every store take a visa? Because everyone has it in their pocket. Why does everybody have it in their pocket? Because every store takes it. right? So there's this mutual benefit. In doing something like that. So we're doing the same thing. What we're doing is we're, we're opening up this federation where you can have this layer of abstraction between the access networks and the identity holders. So any identi- identity holder can join, any access network can join, and now this access network can choose from amongst those identities, which ones they wanna use to automatically onboard into the network.
3: So with going back to what you were saying about pushing this through the WBA, is are we looking at GSM IDs as being one of the principal identity uh, systems
2: with others as optionals? Yeah, absolutely, because what we're doing right now with identities is you could use a SIM identity, a SIM's becoming AKA, Um, you could use an eSIM, you can use a certificate. Um, You can do things like uh, keys, for example. If you log into a web page, you know, you do this username, password, and next time you don't have to log in because there's a key exchange. Mm -hmm. We'll do those keys as well. So there's a lot of different ways that you can handle identity. What's very important to us is that if anybody has an identity database, that you can use that for doing things like onboarding into the network. Let's take this event here. As a Cisco employee, I have a Cisco identity. As a Cisco customer, you have a Cisco identity too, usually associated with you as a customer of your contract or your your service or your maintenance contract. And so you're a customer too. And because you have that identity, that identity then can be used, Cisco's database can be used at an event like this to automatically onboard people into their event.
4: But that also requires that you vet the identity providers because anybody can... J- create any identity.
2: That's And, yeah. and
0: also you've got people like hackers will always, you know, grab groups of identities. So security
2: <laughs> is actually a benefit to this. And I'm, I'm going to let Bart get into some of the details here because he's, like I said, he's built it, right? But for us, when we were building this federation, you're absolutely right. When a When a... IDP, an identity provider, joins. There's a certificate exchange that happens with the federation. When an access network joins, there's a certificate exchange with the federation. You want to make sure that when somebody is ident is using an identity that claims to be an MNO, like a major operator that they're actually talking to that operator. And it's the same thing the other way around. If, if some operator is providing an identity to an access network, they want to actually know that that access network is who they claim to be. So this is very important. I'll let Bart get into some of the details.
1: Yeah, co- correct. Like technically what, what happens is when you walk into a venue with an identity, um, or with a device that is provisioned with a certain identity, the first thing that will happen is that the network will match that identity against its policy as far as, you know, who do I want to accept here. You know, if we get past that step, then uh, the network will actually automatically discover the IDP. We use DNS for that, right? Then once it knows, you know, where to connect, it will set up a TLS tunnel to that IDP. Now that TLS tunnel is authenticated um, uh, by means of certificates that were assigned to both parties when they joined the Federation. When they join Federation, a verification happens. so based on that verification, the certificates get assigned. And then over that tunnel, the authentication can happen. So by the time that the tunnel is set up, both parties know who the other party is that they're talking to. So
3: is this using um, a RESTful API, or is this using an existing RADIUS or TACACS-type
1: protocol? So the, the, um, uh, the base protocol protocol is RADIUS, so radsec, RADIUS over TLS. Mm-hmm. right? One of the innovations that we've done also, the network will always speak RADIUS, because ultimately that we use EAP on the network side, because that's what the devices support but we we can translate it very early on into other identity protocols such as OAuth v two saml kind of the existing uh, single sign on protocols so we can integrate very easily with you know cloud identities you know samsung id google id apple ID okay. uh, or enterprise identities like you know the Cisco one ID integration we've done here at Cisco Live
4: still you talked about the technical vetting of a uh Uh, identity provider, but I can assume that you also do other types of vetting. Otherwise, we might end up with 10,000 Donald Trumps on the network. I mean, (laughs) some people like that. Some might like it a little bit less. Uh, So it's not only the technical part that needs to be vetted, but also their intake process on which identities can actually be created and used. How do you do that?
2: Yeah, that's, that's and again, a very key point because there has to be policy that's associated with this, and the policy is actually bidirectional. So, for example, like I said, we were using Passpoint or Hotspot 2.0 protocols and implementing this, so the access network, the venue, gets to choose which they'll accept. So when you're advertising over 802.11U, you're actually advertising information, realm information that it, that, tells the device what credentials it can use in order to authenticate into that network now the the opposite we're also aware of because we've had service providers ask us the same thing for example if you had two big retail stores and they and they both had loyalty programs so they represent idps because a store now in this architecture can be an identity holder too right an identity provider so in that case one retail store that's competing with another retail store may not want their credential used when they're in, the, in their competitor's store, right? So you have, do, you have to do this policy. But both does ways. that scale?
4: I mean... Um, then, as a, an access network, I will have to pick and choose which identity providers I will accept. Um, but I don't have all the identity providers worldwide. So doesn't it go by proxy? So I, I trust, for example, KPN in the Netherlands, and KPN trusts somebody else, so everybody behind KPN is trusted?
1: Or how does that work? So you can, so you can trust specific identities, but you can also trust categories. For example, you could say, I'll, I, I'll trust all service providers, or I trust all you know, enterprise identities, or I will trust all cloud identities. Or you can trust specific um, identity providers, and a mixture of that. Um, you can also say, you know, I will trust anybody that's part of Open Roaming, or I want. Um, there's also a, a privacy policy associated with Open Roaming. So as an end user, you can basically choose to, you know, share your email address with an access provider or not share. And then certain access providers, also, you know, for example, a, an enterprise. May want to have you know an email address of a user when they roam in, and then if you decide you know I want to roam totally anonymously, they may decide not to accept that, and so forth so the, the the matching of the policy is kind of totally up to you know can the access provider
3: now if we're using radius as our back end on this and I, here's an unpopular direction. Um, what if I want to monetize my, my Wi-Fi? What if I want to charge that back to whoever I'm authenticating against and I have an agreement with my local mobile company that uh, minutes on my Wi-Fi are going to cost them on yeah. their bill? Is that yeah. account? That is accounted
2: for, and this is very important because remember our original goal, our original goal was to be able to automatically onboard in whatever network you're on or around, at that time. So if we're really trying to address the onboarding issue, then we have to take into account access networks that would not charge and access networks that would indeed charge. Right? And so what we're doing here, and this is one of the reasons why um, we're working closely with the WBA, because the WBA has a billing mediation capability. They also have a GRX like function. They call it RICS is the protocol that they use for that. So can you layer billing on top of open roaming? The answer is yes. So, you know, for some of the earlier questions, I just wanted to keep in mind is that, you know, you asked me, can other vendors play? And and as soon as we get this federation um, launched officially, like I said, we're in trial, the answer to that is yes. And what we want to do is we want to generate as much mass in this federation as we can, as quickly as we can, because the value of the federation is in its size. So one of the things that we're doing is we're letting anybody join in. Now, if you do this policy around that, then you can implement these other functions. So even though the federation itself is, is free to join, you can still do a billing relationship between an IDP and an access network. So we accommodate both or all of those models.
3: No, not that anyone wants to pay for Wi-Fi,
1: <laughs> for Wi-Fi. I get it, well, I'll tell you. But,
3: but, but some people want to make their money.
2: No, I get it, and, and I'll tell you where it does come into play, because when you're using an identity of a service provider, some big player, say like, in a, like a U.S. operator or some big player out here, then what happens is that they want a certain SLA against that access network. And sometimes they're willing to pay if you can promise that SLA. So if you go into an airport and the airport has to make additional investment into its Wi-Fi network so that it can provide a better SLA, then what happens is then they'll get paid for that by those operators that get that carrier class experience.
3: And on the other side, if you've got people potentially making money, even if it's just a few pennies here and there, that's an incentive for Wi-Fi to become more ubiquitous than it is.
2: Not only more ubiquitous, but better quality, better service. I think this is driving all the right behaviors.
4: Yeah, I agree. If you uh, federate identities, you run into some legal issues as well, and uh, laws are not the same all over all over the world. Um, you access providers collect metadata.
2: Um, how is that handled? So, to be honest, open roaming, to a certain extent, doesn't have to address it. Now, we do have a T's and C's um, that we do set up. There's T's and C's between an IDP and the federation. There's T's and C's between an access network. And the the what, and
4: terms and, conditions.
2: terms and conditions. Oh, okay. Is, is that a U.S. term? Maybe I'm using a yeah. U.S. term. Terms of, <laughs> terms of service, basically. Yeah, terms of service, basically. And um, and so we do have that. But the idea here, again, is that if you're using a service provider, for example,'s credential, then they've already accounted for this. And one other thing that I'll point out, sometimes people think that because uh, there's this federation running out there that everything has to traverse the federation, and there they Therefore, there's this risk of identities being known or where they authenticated in the Federation. That's not necessarily the case, because when we do open roaming and you have that Federation, what you're doing is you're providing the information needed for an access network to find the IDP so it can authenticate. But the actual connection to do that authentication does not have to cross the Federation.
0: Never cross the federation. It does not,
1: no. It's, it's a peer-to-peer. It's a peer-to-peer relationship. Didn't
3: work well for the Klingons, it won't work well for exactly. anyone else. <laughs> 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 but it's I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically, you, you've, you're passing an ID. And a yes, no, and maybe some accounting data. If the source system for that ID has a whole bunch of other personal data on it, that remains in the source system. Yeah. Exactly. None of that has to cross yeah. down. It's just essentially a
1: yeah, this ID yeah. is good. Mm-hmm. Nothing has to get exchanged over the Federation in terms of PII, personally identifiable information. Good. But if the end user has some kind of agreement with that access network, for example, they have a retail uh, loyalty membership, and the access network already has an agreement with that um, uh, user, then that's outside of what happens.
3: Right. And so nothing nothing, presents a, sorry, nothing prevents a two-stage process where they authenticate with open roaming and then get hit with a splash page saying, we want all this personal information. But that's separate from open roaming. That's something they choose to do on top of that.
2: They, they can choose to do that. We're really trying to avoid it. I mean, frankly, we're trying to kill the portal. We would like to completely kill the portal, Good and there's plan. multiple reasons, by the way, for doing that. I mean, one one of the advantages to this automatic and secure connectivity to Wi-Fi networks wherever you are is this this uh, concept of multipath or this ability to hand off seamlessly between LTE or 5G systems and this next generation of Wi-Fi. And if you can automatically onboard to Wi-Fi, then you can automatically do that handoff. Now, if you're driving to the airport and you've got a call going on, and then you walk into the airport and it switches into Wi-Fi, what happens to your call today? It's likely going to drop, right? But what happens now is that if that that connection automatically comes up, right? Now we can migrate that call over to Wi-Fi seamlessly Without dropping that you call. Do mobile IP or something. Right, like it's that. it's not very effective. I mean, you're on a call and you go into the airport. What are you going to do? You're going to stop your call and go into the portal, put in your information, and then.
0: So we're going to have to come sh- up with new excuses when we want to end a conversation. Oh, I, I, we're breaking up. Oh, oh. We have open roaming. We can't end this call. Yeah, darn
2: it! We're going to have you connected all the time. Uh, thanks, know. man. It's a
3: lot. The microphone in my phone's
4: not working. So it all boils down to the end user having a connection to an access network. And the end user is connected to an identity provider. And the access network is connected to the identity provider. But it's like a triangle. There's no... uh, it, it, It is not required that all three have... Relationship right. to yeah. each right. other.
1: So the federation is only there to establish trust between access provider and identity provider, and then the access provider and the identity b- provider just talk to each other. So what you'll see on your network as an access provider, as users come in, is you're going to see TLS tunnels go to you know different places based on you know which identities that the access provider.
4: Still, that presents metadata. So if I am a retail provider and my and somebody connects to my competitor, Mm -hmm. I would want to know that because I want to know how many of their users are using my network and what they're doing into my store. How is that
2: handled, or is yeah, that something
4: that is done in, in well, local... That, I mean, that's,
2: but that's not anything that's any different today. So if, if you're going into a retail establishment and you manually go through a portal today to get onto Wi-Fi, they can do that today. Yeah. So that, that's, that's somewhat governed by the policy of that particular venue. Now, what we do with open roaming is we provide two mechanisms... Uh, for those retail outlets that have a loyalty program Mm -hmm. and they're giving you that 5-15% off because you're in the loyalty program. They're doing that because they want to know who you are. Now that's up to the user because we also provide an anonymous mechanism, right? So you can go onto the network anonymous. The retail outlet may not give you your 15% off for that, but you're still on the network.
4: Okay. The technology that's being used, you mentioned Passpoint, it's quite old. I mean, I found yeah, reference. Ten it's about ten years old. Um, I know that because we we're involved
2: it it in writing it. And I'm actually.
4: <laughs> <involved>. <laughs> well, what's the reason why it didn't take up until now? Uh, I mean,
2: well, I can I can give you some feedback on that. I mean, look, when when we came out with uh, Hotspot 2.0 or Passpoint, it was a. It, there, I mean, we had to move some mountains, frankly. Uh, first off, you had to have the devices themselves pick up the protocol. So we needed it in the OS's, right? So it had to be in the supplicant. Um, the manufacturers of Wi-Fi equipment also had to pick up the protocol. They had to do things like 11U, which they didn't previously do. So once you got the networks doing it and you got the devices doing it, now the operators had to adopt it. So the the big players had to turn it on. And we just know they don't move super fast in this, right? So now all the smartphones do it. It's, uh, it's in Android native, it's in iOS native, so it's, it's in even Windows, right? So it's, it's in all these devices, so the supplicants all take this into account. All the networks do it, all of our competitors do it, right? And now what we're starting to see is this big uptick in adoption. Now this is another thing that open roaming does Because Passpoint was a roaming agreement, a business agreement between operators, (coughs) between maybe cable and MNO type operators, right? So now what you can do is, now you can have business relationships between venues and operators, venues and venues. So now you've got all this additional potential business relationship you couldn't do before. So because of this, we think it'll accelerate.
1: Yeah, so the federation automates basically those, you know, business agreements and the technical setup you know, you'd have to set up an IPsec tunnel, you know, to the, the the operator's radius server and so forth. So, so it it automates all that, um, and it also um, it also um, increases the size of the identity providers that you can get at. Hotspot 2.0 was originally targeted at service provider identities, and now we've opened that up with cloud identities, enterprise identities, loyalty, and so forth.
2: Um, and just, just to kind of give you a feel for the power of that, I mean, you might think that, well, you're going to have to have a ton of identities on your phone. But just think about some of the really big ones. Think about Google ID or Apple ID or some of these. Most people have them.
4: So So does that mean that your phone has a whole list in there of venues it can and cannot connect to? Or is it something they download from the access point do the phone, and then the other way around.
1: So your phone will have a number of identities provisioned in Wi-Fi profiles, right? Um, your service provider will install some. You know, you may download a, a, a loyalty app, and that could install one. Uh, like Samsung has it native in their devices now, so they can activate with, uh, Samsung ID as an IDP with one click. Um, so you may have a bunch of of them in there, and then your network will advertise which ones it supports. The device will see that and say, yeah, I have one of them. You know, um, l- let me try and authenticate.
4: Is it hard to become an access provider or an identity provider?
2: I mean, there's a lot of access providers out there already. And again, this is where we're opening up the ecosystem. We often think of access only as public venues. But it's not just public venues. It can be the guest network in a carpeted enterprise for example. Mm. So any of those can join into open roaming. So at that point, you could think of open roaming as guest as a service for our enterprise customers.
0: Have we deployed it for our San Jose?
2: Um, so, don't so yell don't, at me. <laughs> we don't have it in all buildings of San Jose, but okay. we have deployed it in, in San Jose. And, awesome. and clearly Cisco's endorsing it because here hope. at Cisco Live, here we are, it works.
0: Exactly. Yeah, awesome.
3: What about private authentication? What if you've got a a situation where you've got company-issued mobile phones and that kind of stuff and you want to use open roaming to basically identify the phones you've issued for simpler access to a corporate network rather than a guest network? Is that a secondary application?
2: There's absolutely no reason why you couldn't do that. um, In in that case, it would be kind of a closed implementation Mm -hmm. because you would probably be the IDP and the access network. And and in that case, you would only take your credential. Mm -hmm. But you could absolutely do that.
4: But does that involve DNA spaces then? Because then if it's all on-prem, then it's no cloud.
2: Uh, so I was thinking you would use the cloud, but you don't have to. Actually, in this simplified case, you wouldn't really need open roaming to federate a bunch of identities because you have a hard-coded one, mm-hmm. so you know how to find your IDP already because it's on yeah. prem. So in that case, you could manually implement you it. You just use it as a, essentially a single technology
3: for both your private and your guest networks, but apply it differently and have a, a single management model. It just makes
4: it easier to operate. Right. And then you can use your guest network, guest access you, through yeah. open roaming. Mm-hmm. And
1: so open roaming actually also supports this use case. We have something called you know local authentication. So you know we 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 figured out who the um, uh, we've, we we out who the IDP is. If you know we can't figure out who the IDP is, we basically say okay, let's try our local AAA server and see if it.
3: Now I'm assuming this is all implemented in the controller rather than individual APs. So.
1: Um, we have it implemented in uh, the DNA spaces connector, which is you know the VM that sits next to the controller. We are implementing it also in our controller stack uh, directly, as well as in the Meraki stack.
3: OK, so in cases where it goes beyond uh, Cisco equipment or lower-end small business Cisco equipment that doesn't have that capability internally, you could have it talk to a controller that does have that capability and it would essentially proxy o- all Or that. install the
2: connector. Just install the connector. Install
3: yeah. the connector. So, yeah. in the case of the Cisco small business stuff, obviously that's very low-end equipment. It's not going to have that co- kind of stuff. But if it's doing dot one x and RADIUS authenticating to something else, that could join a federation. Potentially.
2: Potentially, yeah. Mm.
3: We'd have to look into details,
2: but yeah, because the con- connector is just a, com- uh, just needs a compute platform, basically. Okay. Yeah. That's that's where you're typically converting your AAA into RADSEC so that you can securely go across the network, for example. Exactly.
4: So yeah. as long as you've got that bridge. And that is the way to get your legacy access networks on board as well. correct that's correctly. right. Yeah. Okay, because uh, yeah, not everybody's going to replace all their hardware because that's there's right. this new open roaming
3: thingy yeah. going around. So this isn't necessarily just a eleven ax draft thing. This is this could go back to any prior Wi-Fi specification. That's right. That's
2: right, and, and that's very important. And the fact that you know the supplicants in all of these devices to be able to do that functionality and. It's, uh, that means that we can really hit the ground running, and we know it's scalable. We've done big events like what we're doing here, and, we, and it's based on DNS. We know DNS scales to the entire Internet. So Do you have some m-
4: works? more examples of where it works? Yeah,
2: we did it at uh, Mobile World Congress uh, as well. So at Mobile World Congress, you know, it's, it's quite a bit larger even than this event. Mm-hmm. How many people? Uh, mobile, so I have to be a little bit careful because they don't like us saying those numbers. But it's, let's just say it's well over a hundred thousand. Oh my gosh!
4: <laughs> That's a lot of wi well, well. well. And in, in in permanent solutions, sorry, in permanent solutions, uh, in in uh, I mean not only venues but like gas networks at uh, corporates or anywhere else.
2: Uh, yes, I. How many can we mention, Bart, as far as uh, deployed access networks? We Uh, have to have permission to use their names, but.
1: I think we have uh,
2: uh, about 16 trial customers. 16 trial customers. We had 16 trial customers and a couple hundred that are in the process of signing up. So, So keep in mind, it's in trial. Yeah. So, so that little okay. e- that little easy button in I'm spaces that says it. join that isn't available until March. So as soon as that happens, well, I think we'll and see.
4: March it. is the next Mobile World Congress. So th-
2: Mobile World Congress is at the end of February. <laughs> so we'll definitely be running there.
4: <laughs> okay. And <laughs> what are you? What are the next steps that you are planning then?
2: uh as far as well so there's a couple of things that we're really planning i mean one of the things that we think is really important is this standardization effort in the industry and so what we'll start to see is i think other players jumping into this we we, again we're looking to solve an industry problem here Mm -hmm. and then i think also beyond that Um, Once you have this foundation of open roaming and and you can do this federation and you start getting this connectivity everywhere, I think there's going to be all sorts of services layered on top of that. Uh, Bart mentioned one. Uh, One service, for example, would be translating a AAA query into OAuth because you want to um, dip into an existing database. There'll be services on top that would do things like billing and mediation. There'll be services on top that do additional policy so that you can actually great networks and what your experience will be if you go into this network. So I think once this ecosystem starts to really build in place, then you'll start to see all these other things show up uh, in the upper layers.
4: Do you expect um, companies to start becoming identity providers for all their employees so that if they come at certain venues or whatever that they can just use their Company credentials to get in.
2: No, Cisco's doing it, right? Cisco, in a sense, has an ID, and we're doing it right here.
1: Okay,
0: awesome. And on that note, uh, thank you all for doing this awesome podcast. I enjoyed it, so that's the whole ma- that's the whole point. So did we? Oh, gl- I'm glad. Okay. That's that's nice to know. Um, thank you, everyone. Uh, thanks to all our listeners, um, and you can hear Cisco Champions Radio on. Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and we can wrap. Thank you guys.
1: Thank Thank you. you. Thank Thank you. you so much.
0: All right.